Well, good morning, church. And happy Mother's Day to all our moms. Let's give our moms a big hand. Yes. Moms do so much. You know, in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 31, it says that we should honor our moms for all that they do. And uh, I know that Mother's Day for some of us is a joyous day. For others of us, it's a hard day. And I have some close friends that they lost their mom this year, and I texted them this morning because today's going to be a hard day for them as they don't have their mom with them on Mother's Day. And so I get it that Mother's Day is both exciting and it can also be a really challenging day. And so as I was uh, uh, looking at some videos this week, I found this poem for moms. I didn't write it, I found it, and I wanted to share it with our moms as we celebrate moms today. It's called For the Moms. And here's what it says. It says, for the moms who raised us up, gave us love and made us strong. For the praying moms who don't always know what to do, but always know who to talk to, for the hurting moms who have loved and lost but never given up, for those who never got called mom but who cared for us all like a mom would, for the young moms who became moms sooner than expected and gave it all they had, for the single moms who tirelessly and courageously learned how to do this on their own, for the stepmoms and the stand-in moms who rose to the occasion and loved us well. For the working moms, the stay-at-home moms, the cooking moms, and the takeout moms, thank you for teaching us how to walk, how to learn, and how to make a difference. For taking care of us when you barely had enough time to take care of yourself. For comforting us when we felt alone or afraid. For lifting us up when others put us down. For the rides, the meals, the laundry, and the birthday parties. For the years, tears, laughter, and love. It's not enough, but we want to say, thank you, Mom. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We love you. We honor you. We remember you today. Happy Mother's Day. And so I just would love for us, if you're, a, uh, a, if you're just a lady in the house, if you just stand up, we just want to pray for all the ladies, all the women in the, home, in the house and, uh, you know, these represent moms, these represent um, stepmoms, these represent moms-to-be, these represent folks that were stand-in moms, they represent all kinds of um, mother figures in our lives. And, uh, and we want to pray for them today, and then we're going to give them a big hand. So if you're just around one of those moms, if you know them, maybe just put your hand on their shoulder, let them know that you're there for with them, and, uh, and let's pray for them. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessings of these ladies. God, we thank you for the lives that they have touched with their lives. And God, for how they've loved people unconditionally. God, for how they have uh, interacted in people's lives and listened and cared for and loved when we were down. God, we thank you for those that are moms. God, we thank you for those who are stepmoms. God, we thank you for those who are stand-in moms. And God, we're just grateful that they are all a part of our lives. And God, we take time even today to celebrate moms that may no longer be with us. And God, we're grateful for those moms. And Lord, we thank you for the legacy that they have left in us. And so, Lord, we're just grateful for moms. And as your word tells us, we want to honor them. And, Lord, with all that they have done. So we thank you, Lord, and we love you. Thanks for giving us these amazing women in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give them a big old hand. So in lieu of gifts uh, here at Warehouse Church, what we do is we, uh, we give an offering um, to a woman's shelter, women's shelter that is local in our community, and so in honor of you. And so this uh, week, uh, one of our local women's shelters is going to be getting a gift of $300 uh, in honor of moms, and because 
We want them to be blessed. And so if you didn't get a muffin, though, on your way in, or if you didn't get your picture taken, moms, um, please do so on the way out. We just want to celebrate you and say thanks for being who you are. And uh, so today, though, we're going to continue on in our series that we've been calling the Easter Challenge. And uh, we're in week four of the Easter Challenge. Oh, and before I forget, this morning, um, we had an amazing time with our uh, baby dedication. We had five families up here, and we had five babies, and, uh, and, and so uh, we got to celebrate them, and we got to, as a church, stand behind them and say, hey, we're with you. We're going to help you um, raise these children up to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. And so, uh, so that was a great celebration this morning. So it's been a busy day already. And, uh, and so we're going to, though, continue our series, The Easter Challenge, and, uh, and we're on this adventure, and I don't know if you remember it or not, but we're chasing a deeper understanding of what it means to live God's calling in our lives. And last week was really big because we talked about the importance of being in the Word, and we talked about the importance of reading the Bible, and I challenged you. I challenged you to read the Bible for at least 10 minutes every day. And, uh, and I gave a challenge, and, I, and about 60 of you signed up for the Bible challenge. And so that means that this week, about 60 of you are reading the same scriptures every day and diving into the Word of God. And I think that's so exciting. And so if you're one of those 60 that did the Bible challenge, just raise your hand because we want to celebrate you. Let's give these guys a big hand. And that's awesome. They did a good job. And, uh, and so it's so cool to be reading together the same scriptures. And uh, I had a blast doing that. I hope that you did as well. And, uh, and so today, though, I want to talk about our mission. I want to talk to you about what is it, our mission? What is it that God has called each of us to do? And, and I wonder, what would it be like? And I want you to think about this. What would it be like if you found out that you had 20 minutes to live? Like, what would you do with that 20 minutes? Who would you call or how would you act? And so one mom, Cynthia, she realized that she found out that she had 20 minutes to live. And she figured that the best thing that she could do with the time that she had left was to send messages to her two daughters. And so her daughter, Elena, was a student at Seattle University, and she texted her. And she texted her these words. She said, stay strong, and no matter what happens, take care of you and your sister. Find a way to get to California to be together and soon be a family. I love you so much. And then she texted to her other daughter, Alyssa, and she wrote these words. She said, no matter what happens, get your degree. Have a good life and be successful and take care of your sister. Love mom. And it turned out that Cynthia had much more than 20 minutes to live. In fact, she lived as most of the state of Hawaii and are still alive to this day. But in 2018, a state worker chose the wrong menu item for, a, for the state alert system and sent an alert out to the, entire island, uh, to the entire island that said these words. It said, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And so for about a half an hour, all of the island, many people in the state thought that they were about to die in a nuclear blast. And there's pictures of parents lowering their children into manholes for shelter. But fortunately, it was a false alarm. In fact, it could have been a gift to some people. Because 
It may have caused some of them to think about what really matters in life. And I thought about that, and I thought, I wonder what I would have done. Like, I wonder what I would do if I found out that I only had 20 minutes to live. I mean, I'd like to think that I'd find the most crowded place that I could go, and I would share the good news. But maybe not. Maybe I would spend time with my family or spend my 20 minutes, my last 20 minutes, texting each and every one of my family members to let them know that I love them. Either way, the thought of 20 minutes left to live gives us some real perspective, doesn't it, onto what's really important and, and what we're doing right here in this moment. You see, no matter how long we have to live, I believe that we should live every day with a sense of intentionality because one day we will stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives and for what we did while we were here on earth. And as I age and as I get older, I become more uh, intentional about how I live my life because I'm recognizing that now I have more days behind me than I have potentially ahead of me. And so those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus will find ourselves in a similar conversation one day that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. And he said that conversation will go something like this on the day we meet Jesus. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, those are the words that I so desire to hear from Jesus when I come to his presence. And I want you to know that it's only by faith in Jesus that we get to go to heaven. But there are also three things that you can do here on earth that will go with you for eternity. And one of those things is not a U-Haul full of your stuff. You see, the three things that you take with you into eternity into eternity is number one, who you become in Jesus. The second thing you take with you is the glory you bring to the name of Jesus. And the third thing is the impact that you have on other people. You see, I always imagine when I come to that time uh, where I cross from this life into the next, uh, I imagine it being like getting off an airplane. And when I was a kid, when you, could get, when you got off the airplane, people were allowed to come to the gate, right? Like family members would come and they would greet you at the gate. And I imagine when I go into this, this next season of my life that as I'm walking off this airplane, that there are going to be all the people there that I had an impact in their lives. And so for me, I'm always thinking that I want the biggest crowd to be at the gate of heaven as I get off the plane. Because here's the deal. You last forever. And everything you do, and everything you do to change and to grow and to become more like Jesus, well, it goes with you forever. Because the people around you, they're also eternal. And every time you and I touch someone's life, that impact will go on and on and on. But today, I want us to focus on one thing. I want us to focus on the impact that you have 
on others. The impact that you have on others. And in 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11 together. And Paul has something to say about this as he talks about the next life. And he says these words, beginning in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That all of us are going to appear before the judgment seat. And he says, So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body. So as we come to the judgment seat, we're going to receive something based upon what we did while we lived on this earth, whether good or bad. And since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And then here's what Paul says. And so we try to persuade others. You see, what we do with people here, what we do with people doesn't get us into heaven but it will go with us into heaven. And everyone who believes in Jesus, well, we get to go and spend eternity with Jesus. And everyone who goes to heaven will be rewarded according to what we've done here on earth. And what are we supposed to do? Well, Paul tells us at the last part of that verse 11, he said, we are to try to persuade others. And that's huge, but that's our mission. That's what God has called every one of us to do, to try and persuade others to, uh, to because every person we lead to Jesus will, we, uh, will spend eternity with Jesus. So when we persuade others and when we lead them to Jesus, they also spend eternity with Jesus. And there's really no better use of our time and our lives than helping others to know who Jesus is. Now, the one thing I wish is I wish that there was a easy one, one step works for every situation formula for persuading everyone. But the truth is this, that people are at different stages in their journey towards Jesus. And some are ripe and ready to hear the good news, and some aren't. And so while I don't have an exact formula for persuading people to Jesus, I do have a place where all of us can start. I have a place where all of us can start with just about any person. And you just have to remember six words. That's all you have to remember is six words. And six words that will reach out to anyone. That if you want to take the mission that God has called you to seriously to persuade people, that there's a starting point, there's a starting line. There's six easy words that you can help you to reach out to people. And these six words that will open door with atheists just as much as they will open doors with Christians who have drifted away. It works for anyone in any season of life. Are you ready to hear these six words? They're these. I notice you and you matter. I notice you and you matter. I notice you and you matter. You know, my, my wife is a teacher. She's been an educator for many years. And she will come home and tell me story after story of kids who by the simple acknowledgement of their presence and saying, I notice you and you matter, changes their lives. 
Like, it's not teaching them how to read. It's not teaching them how to write a paragraph. It's not teaching them how to multiply or divide. That the thing that kids most often need is to know that someone notices them and that they matter. Now, you may not have the right answers. For every question that a person asks about Jesus, you may not have a persuasive speech. You may not have it all together on how to lead someone to Jesus. And and you may not have an earth-shattering testimony to share. But every single one of us in this room, every one of us can notice people and let them know that they matter. Let them know that they matter. You see, almost everyone will respond to being noticed. And your efforts may or may not lead them to giving their lives to Jesus. But at least it's a place for you to start. At least it's a door that you can open to eventually walk through. It's saying, hey, I noticed you. And I want you to know that you matter. Remember Matthew 25, where Jesus said, well done. We read it at the beginning. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Well, if you keep reading in that passage, you'll find that Jesus gives a little more explanation of what that day looks like. And here's what he says. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That when you walk up to someone and say, I noticed you and you matter, you have done it to me. Listen, when that day comes, when we go from this life to the next, you're going to care about, you're really going to care about where you stood with Jesus on earth. And you're really going to care about how you touched the lives of others. It matters. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, the Bible says you did for me. And the cool thing about it is that Jesus, he didn't set the bar real high for us. It's not difficult to make someone feel like they matter. And Jesus made it perfectly clear it's easy to receive a reward on those last days. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus was found saying these words, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So Jesus tells us that even a cup of cold water counts. And I love that. I love that it's like Jesus is saying this to us. Jesus is just trying to get us to understand to just get beyond yourself in any way and I'll take it. Just stop thinking about yourself and think of others. You opened the door for that guy with the wheelchair. It counts. You smiled with the grumpy lady with the yappy dog. It counts. You complimented your wife. It counts. Even a tiny compliment can have eternal impact on the lives of people. But here's my problem with this, and I bet it's your problem too. 
I can be selfish. And you can be selfish too. And it doesn't always come naturally for us to think of others before ourselves. So I kind of see it like there are four different levels of selflessness, four different levels that we kind of have to work our ways through. And in the first level at the bottom, at the starting point, I call it the kindergarten of kindness, the kindergarten of kindness. And this is when you don't shove other people out of the way when a fire alarm's going off, or you no longer have to be the smartest guy, or you no longer have to be the strongest girl in the room. Like you... You, you feel like most of us, have pro- I feel like most of us have probably graduated from kindness kindergarten where we at least recognize our ability to put others first. And, and I think that's where we're at, except for sometimes out in the lobby uh, near the coffee bar, sometimes it makes me wonder, right? But then there's this second level, and I call it the elementary school or the le- level of selflessness. And that's the level of selflessness where you can let other people go before you. Like you have no problem letting other people go before you. You share, you willingly and freely share with others. And I feel like, uh, like, I ha- like, a, like you give of your, you share your tools, you share your talents, you, share, you freely share your gifts with others. And I feel like a lot of us get to here and we get stuck. Like we get stuck in the elementary school level of selflessness. Like when people are with you, you make an effort to put them first, but, but like a grade school kid, when they're out of sight, like their homework, when it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And the same is true of us that we get stuck here where we're, it's easy to think of other people when they're in front of us, but it gets hard to think of others when they're not in front of us. And so that leads us to the third level, which is the high school level of selflessness, right? And this is when people aren't with you and you think about them anyway. Like they're not around you, but you think about them. You pray for them. You consider how to be a blessing to them. And you're constantly thinking about that. They're not in front of you. They're not with you, but they're always on your mind. And so like this morning, uh, I thought of Mandy and Shelly, and I thought of them, and I thought about how Mother's Day would be challenging for them because it's their first, day, their first Mother's Day without their mom. And, 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 and so I texted them, and I'm not bragging, I'm just giving you an example. I texted them to say, hey, just want you to know I'm thinking about you today. I know it's going to be hard. And that's what this high school level of selflessness is. It's thinking of others even when they're not around you. But then the fourth and final level is the collegiate level of selflessness. And at this level, you not only think about other people when they aren't with you, but you also sacrifice. You sacrifice your own well-being, your own comfort, your own stuff to help them. And we've experienced that, our family has here. We've experienced people being selfless to the point of sacrificing their time and sacrificing their own comfort and their own stuff to help us as we've transitioned. You see, these are the people. These are the people that turn their homes into orphanages because they can't quit bringing kids into their homes. These are the people who move to places like Honduras or Pakistan to bring people into the kingdom of God. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of this as he sacrificed his life for us even while we were still enemies of God. And so if reaching out to others begins with those six words, I notice you and you matter, how do we take it to the next level? 
Like, how do we move from whatever level of selflessness we are to the next level? How do we get beyond the kindergarten of kindness to those upper levels? Well, I want you to know it's easier than you think. And it's going to change everything you do and how you do it. And it's going to radically change what happens on that day when we must give an account for how we touched or forgot to touch the lives of others to Jesus. It's found in a prayer, but it's not a prayer that you pray once and then you're done. But this actually has to become a daily prayer. It has to become a daily routine for you and for me, a regular part of your prayer life. It's something that you do every day. And you pray it every day that you see someone in pain. And you pray it every time God brings someone to mind. And you pray it every time you notice someone and you want to make sure that they know that they matter. If you will pray this prayer I'm about to teach you every single day about one person, your life will change and so will theirs. And here's the prayer. It's so simple. Here's what it is. Lord, what do they need? And secondly, what should I do? Lord, what do they need? And then secondly, what should I do? So let me just show you how it works. Let's just say you have a friend. Let's say you have a friend who lost a loved one. And, and what do you do? If you're like me, you give them a phone call and you say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And you'll, you'll eventually say, how can I help? And what do they say? They most often will always say, just pray for us, right? Like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Is there anything I can do? Just keep praying for us. And so you promise that you pray, and sometimes you do pray. Maybe you pray for them right on the spot, but oftentimes you forget. And then the next time you see them, it's a little awkward because you haven't prayed for them, and you recognize and realize that you've even forgotten to follow up with them as they have grieved the loss of a loved one. Now, imagine, though, this. Imagine that you were to find out about that person's loss, and before you say anything, you pray this prayer. You say, Lord, what does Billy need? Or Lord, what does Sue need? Or Lord, what does, what does Graham need right now? And then as you're praying, a thought comes to mind, and you say, you know what? They need to know right now in this moment of loss that they're not alone. They just need to know they're not alone. And so then you pray, okay, Lord, what should I do? What is it that you want me to do? And not long after you pray that, you have an idea to take them to lunch. And so when you call them, you don't give them the usual, I'm so sorry for your loss, how can I help? And they don't give you the usual standard, just pray for us. Instead, you say, hey, you're on my mind, I'm so sorry for your loss, can I take you to lunch? Can I just spend some time with you? And in that moment, and just like that, you're up there in the stratosphere of serving and of living a life on mission. And it all began with a simple prayer. Lord, what do they need? And Lord, how can I help? What do they need and how can I help? And this prayer is so small and, and you may think it's so simple, but it's so big at the same time and it's such a powerful prayer. I mean, think of our lives, uh, of how our lives, how our church and how our community could be impacted if we all would make this simple prayer a regular discipline. That when we see someone in pain, 
We say, Lord, what do they need? And then you listen, and then you finally say, Lord, how can I help? Imagine what would it be like if, uh, if, you, if you made this as, as so routine as brushing your teeth is or spending time in your Bible. We can't do it for everyone, but you can do it for someone every day. And this prayer works on so many levels. It can work for mean people, right? Like you can work for mean people who are working at the government office while you're standing in line and you can tell that they're noticeably having a bad day, that they're grumpy. You've heard them snip at two or three people. You've heard them raise their voice and you just begin to pray, God, what do they need? You might even see their name tag. You might say, oh, it says Gloria. Lord, what does Gloria need? And then you might be thinking as you're waiting in line and you might hear God say, or you might feel like God says, I think they need a little compassion today. And so then you respond by saying, well, God, what should I do? Like if they need compassion, what should I do? And then you realize, well, I could tell them that I notice and appreciate how hard they're working, that how difficult it must be to work in this office. And that counts. It matters because it all began with a simple prayer. Lord, what do they need and how can I help or what should I do? What do they need and what should I do? And so this prayer works in, with mean people, but this prayer also works instantly, right? Like you're driving by and you see a homeless guy right there and you pray, God, what does that homeless guy need? What does he need? And, and the word dignity comes to your mind. He just needs some dignity. And so you say, okay, God, if he needs dignity, what do you want me to do? And I think you hear God say, well, I think... Uh, I think God might want me to go over and look him in the eye and shake his hand and say, can I pray for you? You see, it counts. It matters. When we pray the prayer, Lord, what do they need? And God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> this prayer can also work on big issues over time. Like you might pray every day. This might be your prayer. God, my daughter is struggling what does she need? And one day it might come to you. Like you've been praying for days, you've been praying for weeks, you've been praying for months. God, what do they need? And it comes to you. She just needs to know that I'm there for her no matter what. And so you pray, okay, God, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And then the idea comes to you. Find a way to reach out to her every day and letting her know that she matters and keep praying. It's so simple, but yet so amazing. It can happen even, check this out. It can even happen with that jerk at work or school, right? That nobody likes. You can pray, God, you can even say this, God, what does that jerk need, right? And if God says he needs a hug, then here's what you pray. Well, God, please, 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 bring someone to give him a hug, <laughs> right? Like, it's an effective prayer. It's so simple, but if we'll get in the daily routine of praying that prayer, God, what do they need? I notice they're struggling. I know they're having a bad day. What do they need? And then when God shows you what they need, you just simply pray, God, what do you want me to do? And God may say, I want you to pray for them. 
God may say, I want you to give them a hug. God may say, I want you to look them in the eye and tell them that they matter. God may say, I want you to give them five bucks. God may say, I want you to go buy them uh, a happy meal. God may tell you whatever, but you just do it. And here's the danger of this prayer, because I want to warn you that it's also a dangerous prayer. It's an impactful prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer because James 4.17 says this. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. And so the danger with praying this prayer is that as things come to your mind, you don't follow through. You don't do it. And so would you consider, I want you to think about this, would you consider joining me this week? And would you start finding one person every day, just one person, one person every day where your actions say, I notice you and you matter. And then would you pray that prayer? God, what do they need? And God, what do you want me to do? Just one person a day. And maybe even pray for the same person every day for the next week or the next few weeks. And God may not answer every prayer right away, but I'm certain that sooner or later, God will bring an idea to your mind. That when you see someone having a bad day, when you see someone down, when you see someone sad, God, what do they need? And what do you want me to do? And if you'll do it, here's what I know that I know that I know. That on that last day, when you're departing the plane called life, and you're entering into the gate of heaven, that you'll be glad. You'll be so glad that you did it. Because I am certain that sooner or later, God will be there saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, until the last day, your life has the potential of being chock full of stories of how God, God, how God used you to touch people's lives. And so try it. Just try it and see if it doesn't change your life and see if it doesn't change the lives of the people around you. God, what do they need? And God, what do you want me? What do you want me to do? Let's pray. Father God, what we do here on earth, it truly matters. And Lord, while what we do here doesn't get us into heaven, your word is very clear that it says the only way to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so our actions and the things that we do, they don't get us to heaven. But when we get there, when we enter into your presence, we're going to have to give an account of what we did with our lives as a result of knowing you. So often, Lord, we get so busy and caught up and scared and, and freak out and I could never share Jesus with anyone. But we can do the simple thing. And the simple thing is to notice people and to let them know that they matter. And the best way to notice people and let them know that they matter is by simply saying, God, what does that person need? They look like they're hurting. They look like they're distraught. They look like they're in pain. They look like they're suffering. They look like they could use a friend. Lord, what do they need? And then God, 
what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Is it a smile? Is it a hug? Is it a handshake? Is it a cold drink of water? Is it clothes? Is it a ride? Is it mowing their lawn? What is that that you want me to do, Lord? And then, Lord, us being open and willing to do whatever it is that you call us to do. Lord, this is a prayer that could revolutionize the way we live lives. And it can also change our community forever. That if the hundred and so people in this room will begin to recognize and notice people and begin to tell people that they matter and begin to begin to pray, God, what do they need? And what do you want me to do? It'll change our lives. It'll change their lives. Lord, I don't know about my friends in this room, but when I come into your presence, when I go from this life to the next, the words that I so desperately want to hear out of your mouth is well done, good and faithful servant. there's someone in this room today someone sitting in a chair someone watching online that has never given their lives to you oh God I pray that today would be the day God I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes to you that today would be the day that their lives begin to matter that today would be the day that they would recognize that you've, you've been in their sight all along that they matter to you. They matter to you. They matter to you long before they were ever born. So Father, if there's someone in here who's never surrendered their life to you, that today they would simply pray, Lord, I recognize that I am not one of yours, but today that changes. I know that I'm a sinner, but I matter to you. And you, because of what Jesus did on the cross, will forgive me of my sins. You notice me, Lord, and I matter. I give my life to you today. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we wouldn't just go through the motions of life. Father, that we wouldn't just uh, go to work, wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, do the same thing the next day. Father, I pray that we, as followers of you, Lord, that we'd open our eyes to the people around us, that we begin to notice the people around us, the people that are hurting, the people that are lost, the people that are oppressed, the people that are down, the people that are poor, the people that are imprisoned, the widows, that we would notice them and we would tell them that they matter, we would show them that they matter by simply praying this prayer. God, what does that person need? And what do you want me to do about it? What does that person need? What do you want me to do? God, thanks for, thanks for loving us. Thanks for 
noticing us, creating us. Lord, I'm grateful that I can know that I matter. If I don't matter to anyone else on this earth, I matter to you because you're madly in love with every person on this planet. So thank you. Lord, help us to notice and help us to live on mission for you. In your name we pray. Amen. As the worship team leads us in our closing song, I invite you to stand up. And if you want to come and pray, we invite you to come and pray. If you want to come and give your life to the Lord, come and give your life to the Lord. This is a, an area of space for you. Churches call it an altar area. I call it God's space for you. And you just come and you hang out with God. And whatever it is that you need, God is here. And he'll give it to you because you matter.